morning. Look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too. Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible. Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And that means you're going to need a Bible to uh, follow along. And so if you forgot your Bible uh, and you need one, you can just slip up your hand and, and some of our leaders in the back will uh, grab you one. Got a couple up here. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you take that and read it every single day because every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Hey, you can do a little better than that. Every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's good news. And so today we want to meet with Jesus as we uh, open the scriptures and we uh, look uh, at what the Bible says about the person of Jesus. And so we're back in this series in the new year. We started uh, just before December, the book of Revelation. It's the back of the book. And so turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 18. And... Um, if you're gathered with us at the Lompoc campus, we are so glad that you are with us. Pastor Tyler and Becca, I'm so thankful for you. We are one church in a couple locations, and we're so glad that you're gathered with us. Maybe you didn't realize that right now there's a group of people at 213 North J Street gathered together, and they're, they're watching this live, and they're gathered together. They just had worship together and fellowship together, uh, and it is an incredible thing. If you live in Lompoc, I would encourage you to go to the Lompoc campus. If you're watching online and you're not gathered with somebody, you need more than sermons. You need someone and someone to impact your life. And here's the reality. Someone needs you. God's writing a story through your life and someone needs to read it. And so get in person because life is simply better together. Amen. Amen. Hey, look at the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 18. Fair warning, this is not the message I'd like to preach at the first of the year. But we're going to do it anyways, amen? And so we're going to look and be faithful to the scriptures that are in front of us. And we're going to talk about why we do what we do in just a moment. But I'm going to read this passage, and I'm going to talk about why we're going through this, why we go through books of the Bible, and then we're going to kind of break down the text, and then we're going to look at the implications and some application for us. So look at verse uh, 18 of chapter 2. This comes in a series of visions that come to the Apostle John, who writes letters to specific churches, real churches in this particular time and place, and this is the letter to the church at Thyatira. And it says in verse 18, it says, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that you, your latter works exceed the first. 
but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into a great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each one according to your works. But the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan... To you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as with... As when earthen pots are broken into pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask for your grace today that you would help us in all things. Let us wrestle with this text and let us fight well that others may win. We thank you that you've laid before us your holy scriptures that reveal to us perfectly the one who is called Jesus. And we thank you and we praise you and we gaze full into your wonderful face. And I pray, Lord, that as we look at you, the things of this world, our cares, our worries, our anxieties will grow strangely dim in the light of the morning star. His name is Jesus. And we thank you and we praise you. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. <laughs> Some of you could go, man, I, I, you know, I, I'm going to start the new year. I'm going to get to church and it's going to be great. I'm going to feel inspired. And then the pastor at the church you go to reads a passage like that, <laughs> right? And you're starting to question everything that you planned this Sunday morning because, man, sometimes we get into things like this. I got to be honest, as a pastor, uh, I, I wrestle with these particular texts and, and, and I look at and I go, man, I don't know. I know there's going to be, you know, some people there, people guests and people are traveling. Uh, maybe we should do something else. Can I just be honest that sometimes when I get to passages like this, I, I have anxiety about laying before you because I got to be honest, uh, I am not the best Christian in the room. Amen. Amen. Man, if I'm the best Christian in the room, we're all in trouble, friend, all right? So can I, can I just tell you that pastor doesn't mean chief uh, Christian. Pastor doesn't mean uh, uh, head and shoulders, clearly. I'm not head and shoulders above most of you in here. And uh, it, it, do, it doesn't mean uh, that I'm at the head of the game. It doesn't mean that I'm a guru. I've arrived and I'm enlightened and I've studied and I have the education and, and, and the mental wherewithal to lay before you the text. It's just that God chose me to have the biggest mouth in the room. And then he's given me the ability to wrestle with the text as a lifestyle and a calling and as a 
dare I say it, the work that God's called me to. And then as a guide, I want to strap up my boots next to you. I want to pack my pack. And I want to say, let's go on this journey that God's called us to. And here's why we do this the way we do at Crossroads Church, is I don't want to be the standard for what I'm teaching, what we're teaching on Sunday mornings. I don't want my uh, political opinions, uh, and they are many. I, I don't want my frustrations. Those are even more. Uh, I, I don't want my parenting tips, and I got a lot of them, friend, and my wife listens to none of them, right? And, uh, and I don't want any of that to be what steers and drives our church. It should be the scriptures that God has left for us through his apostles and his prophets and men and the martyrs who gave their lives before us and these scriptures that have been going viral for thousands of years. And oftentimes when you read it, it seems like it's reading you more than you're reading it. Somebody say amen to that. So what we want to do is we want to open these and go, hey, God, help us struggle together. Help us read this text. Help us fight with this text. Let us struggle what is before us. And so what we do is we go through books of the Bible. We pick a book and we go, hey, we're going to study this book. Can I just tell you that I've avoided this book for eight years, right? Some pastors avoid it their entire careers, friends. This is one of those books that that, that people don't want to go towards. Uh, people uh, uh, have wrestled with and debated over and fought over the contents of this particular book for many years. And there's some difficult things in the passage. We started this because uh, one of the reasons why is uh, people have a lot to say about this book. Uh, there, there's constantly, there, there, there's a litany of content that you could quickly just search the book of Revelation. You can watch a pop culture movie. You can watch an apocalyptic movie and they're going to quote the book of Revelation. They're going to quote the Bible. Uh, you can watch the History Channel for all of 15 minutes and something from ancient aliens to uh, the ancient floods and ancient apocalypse and this and that. They're going to quote what? The Bible. They're going to quote this book, and, and, and yet I don't want uh, TikTok to be your teachers, and I don't want memes to be your ministers. I want us together to go, man, what does the Bible actually say? And oftentimes when I come across people, who, and there's two types of people, and you know who you are, and I'm not going to out you because your family already knows who you are. There's two types of people. There's people who love the book of Revelation. <laughs> We know who you are, right? And you're the ones at the dinner parties like, listen, you won't believe what's happening out there right now. It's all in the Bible, man. (laughs) Amen. I'm telling you, oh man, biblical prophecy is coming true. The next question you should say is which one? Can you show me? Can you open the book? Did did you read that? This is the qualifying question. Did you read that or did someone teach you that? And more oftentimes, if you ask someone who uh, pontificates and and, kind of copy and paste something that they've heard or read from some other teacher, and then they plagiarize it as their own, have never actually been into the scriptures themselves, and, and became a workman, as Paul would tell Timothy, that you don't have to be ashamed. 
that you can rightly divide truth. Here's what I want to help you do as a pastor. I want you to be able to to hold your head high in these conversations. I I want you to be able to sift through the media and pop culture and the TikToks and the memes and the the Facebook shares and, and the spam emails. I want you to be able to confidently, without shame, actually know what Jesus has and what he wants to reveal to us. And you don't have to be afraid because he's a good God who wants to reveal himself to you and be known by you. Someone say amen. That's good news. Oh, you can do better than that. Amen. And so why this book is because is we have a responsibility to steward well the scriptures. We have a responsibility to teach difficult texts. We have a responsibility not to just tickle your ears and, and, and appease your appetites, but to actually cause you to look in this book because here's the reality. This book's going to bring up things you did not want to talk about. It's not the book that you're going to pick up. There, there's some, I can just tell you that Revelation chapter 2, 18 through 29 is not on your mirror as a memory verse. <laughs> can I just tell you that no one put this text on their Bible cover and was like, man, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do the Jesus thing. And yet, all scripture is inspired and profitable for us to instruct us, teach us, rebuke us, lead us to repentance. And so that's why the book of Revelation, that's why this particular book. And so we're going to keep journeying through this book. We get to this passage, Thyatira, and the opening book of Revelation is this image of who God is. And I asked a question, and I, I, I put out like an Instagram poll yesterday, and I asked, is, is the book of Revelation primarily predicting something or revealing something? And, and I was, so the people, our people, man, everyone, they got the answer right. It's primarily revealing something. But let's be honest, that's not how most people think about the book of Revelation. Most people think the book of Revelation is about predicting something rather than revealing something. And yet the opening part, if you look at chapter 1, verse 1, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation is, uh, it, it, we get this word revelation, it comes from uh, the word apocalypto, apocalypto or the uh, apocalypse where we get this word. But the, the idea here is the great unveiling. It is to reveal something that was once hidden or covered. So the opening part, like it sets the meaning of this. Uh, One pastor, as we've been learning uh, from him, uh, says that structure, the structure of the text is the key to meaning. And so right off the bat, John lets us know. And yet there is this idea that he's going to reveal some things that are going to happen soon and things that are to come later. But the primary purpose when you read it is to look for the person of Jesus. What does this text reveal about Jesus? And yet, let's be honest, when we read text, most often we kind of look for ourselves in the text, don't we? Isn't that how most of us watch a movie or read a book? I mean, oftentimes, every time my kids watch a superhero movie, they're, afterwards they're like, which one are you in the movie, right? 
and, and they're, they're in this big debate, and, and, and it, it's quite shocking to them. Like, Dad, which one are you? I'm like, I'm not in that one, right? You, you ever thought, of, like, think about how uh, peculiar that would be and, and how even narcissistic our culture has become, and even the narcissistic nature of, of a human being is to look for themselves and to actually go, man, maybe I'm not in this movie. Maybe my character's not in, maybe, maybe I'm not learning. Maybe this isn't a like-for-like like situation from here. And sometimes when we read the text, it's not us that we're looking for. It is the person of Jesus. What does it reveal about Jesus? And one of those things is when we get to passages like this, that's helpful for us when we read it. We, we don't just read it and, and, and every time we read the text get smacked in the mouth because, man, we're trying to look, man, what have I done wrong? There's anxiety that comes up here. What is this? Uh, we we kind of uh, put God as a schoolmaster or the teacher as, or the pastor as a schoolmaster. God is an angry father. And every time he speaks to us, we're going, hey, here we go. What did we do again? What what did we do wrong? How many people have struggled with that in, their, in your life when reading the text? To be honest, that, that, that's been me at times. I read the text and I'm anxious to hear, what's he going to say I've done wrong now? And yet, what we should do is begin to see Jesus more clearly and the personal God that he is, even when he says difficult things, man, I can actually look at him, see him in full, his full grace poured out for us. This is the Jesus who loves you. This is the Jesus who has called you. This is the Jesus who laid down his life for you. The same Jesus now wants to speak to his church. And like a good father, he wants to say, Knock it off. Stop. Don't. Come over here. Let me help you. If you don't stop, here's what will happen. That's what the letters in the opening parts of Revelation are. John sees a vision of this Jesus, this glorious Christ, this risen Christ in power and in glory. And he says, John, I want you to write a letter to the churches. I want you to write these letters, and I want you to tell them these things. We get to Thyatira, and he says this, to the angel of the church at Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God. Now, he addresses them and says who he is in this, the Son of God, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works. Now, I want to show you that if you look at the text, and I want you to open your Bible, I want you to look at these particular words and these passages, and I want you to see how it's structured here that helps us understand exactly what John is communicating and what Christ is giving to the church. He says, the words of the Son of God. Now, this third Son of God, this is one of the only times in the book of Revelation, I think the only time, that the word Son of God is used. Now, maybe you would think that's a, a common term and should be used more, but I think there's something very specific in this passage that he's using. Now, there's a couple terms that Jesus uses for himself in the New Testament. Uh, there's the Son of Man and the Son of 
God. Now, this is perplexing because what you would assume is that the Son of God term is speaking to Jesus' divinity. And the Son of Man term is speaking to Jesus' humanity. But actually, they're flipped. In the Old Testament, this vision from Daniel 7, there's this vision of the Son of Man. And he is this supernatural figure who's going to rule and reign. And he, he, he is one who ascends to the right hand of the Father. And Daniel 7 is referred to the Ancient of Days. And he says, come up here and sit next to me until I make your enemies a footstool. Every young Jew would hear the word son of man and think almost of the Jewish Superman. He's coming on the clouds. He's coming and everyone there will rue the day that they went against the things of God because he is coming to judge the world and set everything just right. The son of man is coming on the clouds. Then the son of God in this this ancient culture would be one who would be more like a human being, but somehow also divine. And so the son of God term, this is also a term that Caesar himself would refer to himself. We've been talking about in these uh, earlier churches, these letters to the churches, that, that emperor worship, the cult of emperor worship was running rapid through these churches in, in Asia. And many would refer to, to Caesar as God. Somehow he is divine and he is like God, but in human form, he is actually a human being when they referred to the Son of God. Actually, on Roman currency, their coins, there would be an inscription, just like we have our coins, and you have a president's you know, picture, and you have an eagle, or you have that. On, on a Roman coin, it would be Caesar's image, and underneath it would say the Son of God. And so it makes more sense when Jesus, when they ask Jesus about paying taxes, he says, give to Caesar that which is Caesar and give to God that which is God. In other words, you can keep all this stuff here, but the image of God imprinted on us, give ourselves to God, man, this earthly thing, the earthly things with Caesar's inscription doesn't really matter. So when we get to this part, he's, he's bringing back up this conversation, the son of God. In other words, he's God, but he's a man. He's God, but he came in human form. John is speaking to that God is not ethereal. God is not just, is not an invisible force in the sky. God became a man. His name is Jesus, and we can look at him and see him. John opens his text in 1 John, he also wrote, and he says, we saw him. We touched him. He is real. Now, why is that important for this text? It's because oftentimes we think God is absent from us. The deities of the ancient world were asleep. The deities of the ancient world were aloof. The deities of the ancient world were distant, and you needed to wake them up. You needed to to, to bring a sacrifice. You needed to do something or pay something in, in order to stir this deity out of his slumber. But here's what 
John says. John says he is real. He had eyes like flames of fire. What, is it, what does he mean? Is it literal fire? Or is it when someone looks at you? You know, the, in, in the expression, man, it's like they burned a hole right through me. They could see right through me. He's saying that he is real and he sees. He's not absent. The son of God, he has eyes like flaming fire. Man, when he looks at you, he sees right through you, open and bare. And man, that can be a vulnerable, scary thing. This is a psalm. He had feet that were like burnished bronze. And notice the way he describes him, it's almost as if he's describing what a statue would look like. A false idol. It's interesting that the issue that they're going to bring up is, is this idea of idol worship and idolatry. And yet what he's saying is this God that is Jesus is real. And what you've been trying to make images look like, what you've been trying to make statues look like what you've made engraven images jesus is the embodiment he is real he is not a figment of your imagination and and cultivated by your hands he is not a god who is made by human hands he is real and he is someone to behold and he sees and he knows what he is trying to communicate is jesus is a personal god even though he is glorious and fascinating and someone to behold. He says his eyes were like a flame of fire and his feet were like burnished bronze. And Jesus says to them, I know your works. I know your works, your love and your faith and your service and your patient endurance and that your latter works are, are better than your previous. The latter works exceed the first. What's he saying? He's saying, I, I, I love you and you're doing so well. Man, you're, you're serving, you're loving. And then he says, you're actually growing. Man, you've come a long way. You're, you're increasing in your faith. And, and, and I want to know that I see it. I love it and I see it. But I have this against you. And isn't that, doesn't that sting? Isn't that now like the, the leadership guru thing is like start with a compliment and then, right, you're doing great, company loves you, like you've been here, you've been doing your job well, you're seeing everyone, but we just want to let you know uh, there's some things that you need to do better, <laughs> right? Like this is almost that feeling and, and, and I love that, that this Jesus who's going to bring stern and strict correction also says, hey, you're doing a great job. You love your faith, your service, and you're growing. Here's what it should give comfort is, hey, as, and comfort and correction in that no matter how long you've been following Jesus, you're not perfect. It doesn't matter how, 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 how long you've been uh, leading, how long you've been serving, how long you've been, no matter what title you got, Jesus is going to go, I love you. And this, is, this isn't about anybody else. He says, I love you. You have faith and, 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 and you have endurance and patience and love and you're growing. But we're going to get this right too. 
How many know that you're a work in progress? That every Christian is a work in progress? And the Bible is a story about everybody else getting it wrong and one person getting it right? Let me, let me say that again. The Bible is a story about everybody else getting it wrong and one person getting it right. That's good news for you and I, friend. Amen? He says, listen, I, I love you and, and you've done great, but I have some things against you. And he gives this serious rebuke. And, he, and I want you to notice the nature of how he deals with it. And then we're going to talk about the implications of this. Here's what he says. He says, but I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now, this is a term that's been thrown around a lot. How many of you heard, heard the, the name Jezebel before? How many of you, how, how many of you know that, that, that have, that's not a good, good term, <laughs> right? right? And, and yet, like, like I'll be honest, the church has, has, has done a disservice uh, to, to young ladies in, in the church, and, and I've heard personal stories of, of people who, who would put that title, lay that upon. Can I just tell you, you ought to repent and, and go ask for forgiveness if you've ever called a, a, a lady in our congregation or outside of the congregation or a young gal over the years. If you ever referred to them as a Jezebel, you need to repent. That's a serious, serious charge. Hey, man, got quiet, didn't it? <laughs> oh, man, I've heard some horror stories. And, and a lot of times what it is, and, and, and this is where we're going to have to wrestle with this, and you have to be open to what the Scripture a, a lot, Oftentimes, it, it is attributed to someone who has loose morals, who, who uh, is flirtatious, and, 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 and has a personality uh, that where s- sexuality is on the forefront of their personality. They're Jezebel. But that's not really the story of Jezebel. The issue of Jezebel was about how she pulled people away and how social norms and social structures and political structures were actually at the forefront of her mind. Actually, alliances of people, in other words, here's what happens. Here's the story of Jezebel. It can, be, it can be summed up this way. Jezebel was a queen who was married to Ahab. First Kings tells the story of Jezebel. And in First Kings, uh, it says this, 21 and 25, truly there was no one like Ahab who had sold himself by doing evil in the eyes of Yahweh whose wife Jezebel urged him on. Let me say it again. Truly there was no one like Ahab. One scholar says that all of the life of Jezebel could be summed up in this statement that she urged her husband on to do evil. What was the evil that he did? It was the sin of idolatry in keeping up with political and social norms in order that they could have alliances with Israel. Let me say it again. She would urge her husband, we don't want conflict. No, 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 we want to get along with those people. 
No, 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 no. We, we need to make sure that we keep up our political stature and we need to make sure that we have alliances. And, and listen, you don't want to just allegiance. We don't, we don't have to be so dogmatic, Ahab, and serve Yahweh only. We can have all of these other things as well because our friends, our friends on the other side of the aisle, our friends on the other side of the political party, man, they serve these gods, Ahab. You don't want to be dogmatic. You don't want to be a jerk, do you, honey? Seems irrelevant, huh? Somebody say, oh no. And yet, what happened was in this particular setting in Thyatira, that's the story of Jezebel, and Jesus gives this woman in this church. Apparently, here's what you got to realize, is that this is a real letter to a real church. And so, uh, apparently, this is what we can pull away from the text. There was a lady who uh, was very well known, very well liked, and she could speak, and she could, uh, she could draw a crowd, and she was beginning to teach that the pagan worship that was going on in the city of Thyatira. And Thyatira is like one of the lesser cities of the, in, in this particular book. It, it's not prestigious. It, it, it's not a heady city. It's more of a blue-collar city. And there's a lot of trades there. And, and, and there's these guilds there, these, these kind of groups of people that, man, they work together. Uh, one believed that there was a guild of purple goods, which the, the, the character, or the, the person Lydia from the book of Acts, who was a seller of purple goods. They believe she was a part of this guild and they are together. They eat together. They go on break together. They, they, they go out for drinks after uh, work and they're all together. And, and all of a sudden now we just want to get al- go along to get along. I work with these people and what's happening is they are beginning to compromise on their devotion to their new way of life, this way that they found in Jesus. And for social cues, they are beginning to allow their morals to slide and this woman is in the church saying that's absolutely okay that actually what God really wants is for us to love everyone and not cause conflict and let's just go along and get along and and, and let's tolerate one another and what this was leading to is no standards And what was happening at these parties, these pagan festivals, that's why he adds, and teaching them, seducing them to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. What would happen at these these festivals was full-on debauchery. And what you have to realize is in this Greek culture, sexuality is neither here nor there. It was not something where people, like we have been raised in Christendom, where where human sexuality is a big deal and, and being someone who is devoted to one another. Man, loose more and open sexuality was normative in open place. Even in our societies now, those things are pushed to the fringe and to the, to the dark web and to the fringes of the internet. These places are pushed away. This was out in the open. Decadence and, 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 and grotesque sexual immorality is open in the party for everyone to see. It was normative. And so he goes, listen, like, that's just not somewhere we want to be. And in the church, there's someone teaching that this is absolutely okay. And you don't have to have any standards. There's no sense of morality. We want love 
and tolerance. And he says this. He says, listen, I gave her time to repent. And she's someone who's had authority over people. And she's wooing people away. And I want you to notice that the, the sin of the group in Thyatira is not that all of them are in this behavior. It's that they're tolerating the teaching that this is okay. I want you to follow this. That inside the church, it's not that everyone is out there practicing sexual immorality. It's not that everyone's at the party and everyone's going uh, completely wild with their morality. It is that they are tolerating a teacher who is telling people this is okay. Then he goes on and says, I gave them time to repent. And if she doesn't, now this is what we learn from this. There was an actual woman And apparently, when he says this, he's saying, I gave her a period of time, and something happened, and everyone would have known about it. She's well known. And he used this certain event to bring her to repentance. Here's what you need to know. God oftentimes will use difficulty in your life. And it wasn't the devil, and it wasn't your boneheaded brother. Sometimes it was God allowing something to come to your life that he might lead you to repentance. Repentance is changing the way you think so that you do some, and she would not repent. Man, one of the lessons here as we look at this, and I feel like the new year, my timer got shorter. Uh, One of the things that we learn here is when people in authority realize their folly and their fault, but yet refuse to repent, God says, man, I'll I'll judge that. See, repentance is actually acknowledging and seeing that you did something wrong and then changing. And I I, I just tell you to illustrate this, let me tell you an embarrassing story. Um, uh, Maybe you don't realize this, but... uh, Someone asked me over or Christmas, uh, they, they said, how did you end up doing this? Like, how did you end up a preacher? And I, I said, I, I tried everything else, <laughs> right? Like, I tried, about, this was the call God had on my life. And so I had a couple other things going. Uh, and one of those particular things, I, try, I, I was a cop for a little while. I was a police officer. And, uh, and I was a police officer in the mountains of eastern Kentucky in, in a little town called Elkhorn City, Kentucky. It is where Patty Loveless Lane runs right through Main Street, right? And uh, I, I, I tell you, uh, being, a, being a cop there and being a cop here, way different. And uh, I can tell you, I kept one bullet right in my shirt pocket. Uh, the older people will get that joke. Uh, clearly, I need to get younger jokes. And uh, that's a Barney Fife joke for those of you who... Uh, and so I'll spare you the details, but this one particular night, a traffic stop, and we had to make arrests, and uh, and we had multiple people in two different vehicles, and we were in the middle of nowhere, and we had about 40 minutes to drive to a hospital or to drive to the jail where we would check these individuals in, and on the way there, we're in two different vehicles, one of our uh, our police cars break, breaks down at 
at, I'll tell you what this was like in, in East Kentucky. And we break down at a gas station. And so we have to get everyone in one particular vehicle. And uh, we leave the, the, the cars overheating and I leave it at the gas station. It is now, it's probably one o'clock in the morning. I was getting ready to get off shift and now we got to go through this whole deal. So, so now it's the middle of the night. We go through all of the things that we need to go through and um, we go to the hospital, we go to the jail. I'm on my way back on that 40 minute drive and about uh, 15 minutes into the drive, I stop at the gas station where we left the car. It's now uh, 6 a.m and I've been up all night and I walk into uh, into this gas at, to the gas station and the car is gone. All right, it was two o'clock in the morning when I left it there, but now the car is completely gone. And let me tell you, I'm fired up, friend. And if you know me at all, I'm like a pilot light. I'm always lit. You could just add fuel, baby. <laughs> Right, like I'm going in there, man, and I walk in there, and I, I'm kind of like it. I'm in like night, uh, you know, clothes. I got a baseball cap on, a police T-shirt, and I walk in there, th- and, and, and I, I look at the manager. I go, "Hey, uh, last night, just a few hours ago, I left a police car in your parking lot, and now I'm looking out there, and it's not there." He's like. Sir, I have no idea what you're talking about. No, no, I'm telling you right now, there's a police car out there. Did you have that car towed? Where is the, where is the car that I left here three hours ago? Like, sir, I have no idea what you're talking about, man. We can, like, I I was like, you, are you the man? No, no, no. You need to get your manager right now. Dude, I want to know exactly where this car is. I left it here. I want to check security cameras. I'm starting to lay into this guy. I'm right by the door and right looking at him over the counter. And then I glance outside and I look at the sign outside at the gas station and I realize I'm at the wrong gas station. (laughs) Now here's what everyone asked me. Did you just walk out and not say nothing about it? I went, sir, I apologize. I am at the wrong gas station. To this day in Pikeville, Kentucky, there is a story of a young cop who lost a car and could not find it and went to the wrong gas station. I was ready to take all of those people to jail, okay? And... Where's my car? Uh, It was a bad movie. It was a bad scene. And what I've learned from that, and as much as I wanted to walk, the only thing I got right in that scenario was that when I realized I was wrong, everything in me, when it hit, when it felt like the flaming eyes of truth were hitting me deep down inside, I'd acknowledge that I was wrong. I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. I'm acting out of sinfulness and I need to repent. See, the issue is when leaders realize that they're in folly, when they're in sin and refuse to repent. Man, this is what we should look for in our leaders. This is a problem that we have. This is a problem that we have faced through COVID. This is a problem that we face through riots in our country. This is a problem we have in our marriages. Oh, you thought I was gonna 
stay political and not keep it home. Right? How many of you get in a fight with your spouse and halfway through you realize you're wrong, but man, you're just mad now. You're not going to repent. You're not going to... See, th- this, is, this is what she refused to do. And God says to her, I gave her time to repent. Repentance is seeing that you've done something wrong, that you're teaching an error. But if you don't repent, God will come. God is going to do something. And he says this. He says, I'm going to lay her on a sick bed. He brought a disease to this woman. He caused sickness to come upon her. And he caused everyone to see that, no, she is wrong. And then he says, I'm going to cause all of her children. Now, what does he mean here? He's meaning those who have, have adopted her teaching and now have been born almost of her philosophy. Because no, I, I'm gonna put an end to that. I'm gonna stop that. That actually happened. This is a letter to an actual church, but there's things that we can learn from it. As quickly as I can, because I'm out of time. What can we learn and what can we do? See, here's what we have to realize is that from this story, there's immense implication. There's things that we can learn. One is that we cannot tolerate. We cannot tolerate teaching that leads people to think that sexual immorality is okay. We cannot tolerate it. Man, at times, uh, man, I've been guilty of not being plain in my speech when I've talked about this. See, we, 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 we now have a culture of tolerance. We've said, man, anything goes. And anything that goes will lead you to hell, friend. For the way is straight and narrow and few will find it. And Jesus has made a way where there seemed to be no way. And it is straight and narrow. And the issue is when we tolerate teaching. It is not those who are caught up in, in sexual lifestyles that are contrary to the Bible, who have no concept that their, their heart has not been awakened to the knowledge of Christ, that they're living in sin. We preach the gospel of repentance to them, but they will never receive a gospel of repentance and good news that pulls them out of their sin if we constantly teach that it's okay. They'll never hear the good news. We'll never be able to help our children who are currently dealing with identity crises, with their gender and their sexuality and their fluidity. If we're never able to say to them, friend, we love you, this is wrong, and God has so much better for you. But if we tolerate teachers and pastors, pastors and churches, who would rather hang a pride flag than a cross, Friend, we have to be careful the ideologies that we accept, that we preach the doctrines of demons. In Thyatira, he says, no, no, you've tolerated her. And what have you tolerated? A feminine spirit that is ad- adverse against conflict. Hear what I'm saying to you. 
Jezebel was a woman who used feminine wiles and femininity and sexuality and passiveness to seduce her husband into going along to get along. If you're a woman who does that to your husband, stop it. If you are afraid that he's going to say something or do something or hold a line that causes you to lose friends, repent. Men, if you're ran by your wives because you have no backbone, because you have no stance, because you've been lazy in your study of the scripture and you don't know and she's dragging you along to this, to that, and to church, repent. Repent. This was the sin of Jezebel. It wasn't those who were deep in sin and sexual, sexual immorality. It was those who tolerated the teaching of it. It was those who let it go because they were so, so afraid. But here's, here's what you gotta realize. You go, man, I wanna be friends with people. Let me tell you, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful is the friend who would tell you the truth. Faithful is the one. Now, friends, let me help us. Let me, let me lay before you as quickly and as pastorally as I can. This is not just, and see, we can preach to the choir here, and I, and I understand that most of you in here lean conservative. I know most of you in here have, there are a few, we're on different sides of the aisle. This isn't about, here, this is all sexual immorality. So let me, friend, if you're living in sexual immorality, if you are sleeping together and you aren't married, you're living together, you're, you're doing anything that is outside of a man and a woman in, in monogamous marriage, repent of it, move away from it, and pursue the glory of Jesus Christ. Man, I'm walking with someone. I love that many of you are taking those steps. This isn't condemnation. Some of you are going, you know what? The next thing I need to do is we need to get married, babe. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. And so I'm not, don't allow me and I, I got to love you well. Because here's what the Bible is very straight. It was those who tolerated teachers who would tell you what you wanted to hear and say it's okay. And this he says, no, no, no. Hold fast. And he goes, this is what they call, some would call, the deep things of Satan. Can I tell you, this is where Satan is. He's not pulling you away to have a devil worship uh, service at the Grammys. He, he's not trying to pull you away to some dark uh, alley to, 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 to practice uh, some uh, form of idolatry and witchcraft. He comes in like an angel of light and he manipulates the word of God and he tries to tell you that these things are okay when they're not. And this is the deep, things of Satan, that he would take full denominations and full religions and pastors and groups and make you think that they are worshiping God and the irony is they are worshiping Satan. And he says, repent. He says, but those of you who haven't succumbed to that, I'm not going to lay any more burden on you. Some of you, you're not in this text. Some of you are. Some of us, we need to go, okay, then what do I do? Hold fast to what you know and wait for the coming of the Lord, doing what I know to do.
And if you do, here's what he says, I'll give you the morning star. Who is the morning star? Jesus. He says, I'll give you myself and all the practice of, all the things you think you're gonna find in sexual immorality, in decadence, in, in hedonistic behavior, all the things, it's gonna leave you empty. The only way you'll be filled is when the morning star, who is your God and your Savior, when you have him fully. So hold fast, hold on, because he's here and with us. This is our good news, amen? amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are good and you are good to us. We thank you that when we see that we're wrong, we'll repent. You'll help us to do so with courage. Help us to repent where we've tolerated the teaching of sin. Because it does no one any good because sin is deviation from the design, deviation from the way we were created. What they think they're going to find, they lose. So Jesus, help us to love and encourage. Help us not to tolerate teachers. Help us love the sinner, the sinner, and hate the sin, and rebuke those who teach that sinfulness is godliness because they are workers of Satan. Help us in this new year as men, as women, to faithfully love and serve, not using one another, manipulating one another, but together, holding fast to the word of God, opening the scriptures and asking him to reveal himself to us that we may know him and see him more clearly. Jesus, I repent of the things of my life. Help me more and more not to look for the pleasures of this world to sustain me. Jesus, help us the soothing salve of your spirit to heal the wounds that the word of God, like a surgeon's knife, has cut today. Forgive me of idle things I've said today, Lord, but let your word and your truth remain. Let people get over their offenses and hold fast to you, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?